All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the New York Sports Roundup Podcast. A warm welcome to all our new listeners and new subscribers. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you get noticed when we drop new episodes. Tonight, uh, we're talking about the NBA restart. We're talking about uh, the Rooney Rule, of all things. We're talking about some statements made by uh, Drew Brees and Jake Fromm in the backdrop of what's going on now in the country with the, the senseless killing of George Floyd by the Minneapolis Police Department and the country's reaction uh, to that. But we're going to start tonight with Major League Baseball and the seemingly inability of the players and the owners to get together on a deal to restart the season, which at this point is just pissing everyone off, including me and Jim. So we want to talk about that. Um, we touched on this a little bit in our podcast a couple of weeks ago, just to refresh the, the basics of the fight are this. The players want straight prorated salaries, and what that means is they play 81 games. They want half their contract. The owners say no because whatever games we play will be without people in the stands who have bought tickets, who have bought $16 beers. who are So we're going to be losing money every game, and so we want the players to take a haircut, a percentage off a straight prorated salaries to that. The players have basically said, fuck you to major league baseball. Um, we're not giving you a percentage off and keep in mind that all of this is happening against the backdrop of, uh, the current collective bargaining agreement, which expires in 2021. And so neither side wants to be weak going into, uh, that negotiation. So that's where we are, and at this point, the sides have seemed to have stopped negotiating, and Major League Baseball's position seems to be, look, we're willing to pay you the prorated salaries, but only for 48 games. So we're going to have a 48-game season and then presumably right into playoffs, which needless to say is is a pretty short, truncated baseball season. So let me start here, Jim, and ask you, how do you feel about Major League Baseball's line in the sand. How do you feel about a 48-game season, and where do you see this going? Yeah, so before I start, uh, full disclosure, UFC 250 is on tonight, so if I start letting expletives fly, because uh, I have Kelleher right now, you can uh, laugh at me after the podcast, but um, you know, I, I I read Tim Kirkshin's article on ESPN about how this we're probably not going to have a baseball season this year, it seems like they're just too far apart as far as negotiations negotiations are concerned. And honestly, if you were Garrett Cole, if you were Mike Trout, are you really going to want to take 25% of your base salary to play baseball for the full year this year? I mean, it's what's going on right now in baseball is 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 just humorous, especially when they dealt with this in 1994. You thought they learned their lesson. Steroids save them. Steroids aren't saving you. If you got if you go on strike this year, if the negotiations don't go well next year, that's it. Baseball's done. Basketball will overtake you, and they've already overtaken them in pretty much all the ratings anyway. But it is, you know, you have to come to the table with I understand that baseball revenue, the attendance matters, you know, people in the stadium matter, it drives a lot of revenue for the teams. I get it. But at the same time, it's a new world. Baseball has to evolve. They have to understand that. 
online views and television views matter. Nobody, not a lot of people want to go to the stadium anymore. They want to sit at home and watch TV. So you have to figure out the marketing dollars. That's your job. That's the owner's job. You just can't sit there and, you know, smoke a cigar and collect the paychecks like it used to be 20, 30 years ago. It has to be a new day for baseball. And honestly, and again, I go back to the same point. The top players in, in basketball, right? LeBron James, James Harden, all these guys sit in the room and say, you know what? Let's figure this out. We want the money. You know, how about we talk and, and maybe come to a solution? Right now, baseball is saying, hey, Mike Trout, Garrett Cole, go fuck yourself. Let's talk to the middle people. Let's talk to the bottom of the league, and we'll figure this out. It's like, no, that doesn't work that way. Because guess what? <laughs> baseball won't be popular if half the Yankees don't play. You know, the top of the league don't play. It's just nobody's going to watch. So they – I don't know what baseball is thinking about. I think they're, the owners are getting pretty greedy at this point. And uh, it doesn't look like, you know, based on what the top – reporters are saying it doesn't look like baseball will happen this year well do you, do you think that a that a 48 game i mean i mean that major league baseball has the unilateral right under the march 26th agreement to restart the schedule kind of whenever they want subject to them coming to an agreement with the union on you know health issues and and some collateral things but major league baseball can say hey look you know we're gonna play 48 games and you know show up and this is when the season starts and you know be there do you do you to your mind is a 40 something like a 48 game season more illegitimate than if they played 81 or do you see those kind of the same well the first thing i saw was that the players wanted like 116 which that's just not possible because that that just gets you into so what baseball is trying to avoid their baseball is basically saying, hey, look, there's going to be a fall breakout like from the coronavirus. It's going to happen. We don't want our World Series to be during the you know, a middle of another breakout. So they're trying to have this conclude probably sometime in September, maybe even like the end of August. But they would have to get it done now to start July 4th weekend, which is the problem. I don't think that realistically the, the, the union wants to – play less games and major league baseball wants to play more games. I think that's what's going on right now. The union wants to say, look, we want to play more games because we want more money. We're not interested in prorating our salaries and having no prorated salary because you're losing revenue on, on marketing and, and revenue and TV revenue and, and uh, stadium revenue and everything else. But the, the major league owners are saying, well, wait a minute. Everything is predicated on people coming to the stadium. Well, we don't have that. So we can social distance, but we can't pay you what you expect. You know, so there's a big gap here that cannot be basically, you know, compared to the other, other sports leagues only because the other sports leagues pretty much aren't determined by people coming into a stadium, right? Basketball, they can get away with marketing. They can get away with playing in empty stadiums. It's fine. Football, well, football the same is- thing. Ah, football, you got to have people in the stadiums. You have, but they have missed so much revenue through marketing and TV rights that they don't really need people to be in a stadium and watch the game. Plus, they only play 16 games. Yeah. Where baseball, 181 games are in your home stadium. 81. That is such a high number. So, you know, and again, baseball is not driving some crazy numbers anymore. This is in 1960. You know, they're, they're not bringing in a lot of TV revenue. So they, they really need people to come to the scene and buy concessions. If that's not happening, that's why they're, they're at there, you know, right now. And I think it's, it's, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? Like it's the same thing about who's at fault. 
And honestly, I don't think anybody has a fault. I think I think players will get blamed more than owners uh, because players are viewed greedy because they're playing a kid's game and making you know $200 million a year or whatever it is. But, um, you know, I, I just think that both sides right now are so far apart, going back to that whole point. I don't think that either one of them can come to a, a realistic solution because guess what? Any solution they come to now will affect 2021. Yeah. Because the, the owners will say, well, wait a minute. You disagree to come back at 23% of your base salary. You obviously don't need, you know, $40 million a year. So we can take a little bit more from you. Like, and then that's where the players lost all their leverage and, and vice versa. The players can say, hey, wait a minute. You disagreed that the in-stadium reviews don't matter. So if they don't matter, then what's then I should just get more money then. There, there should be more, there should be more revenue sharing between owners and players. So it's a, it's a weird spot right now between both of those uh, situations. Yeah, and, and let me tell you where this really gets screwed up. And that's and that's let's say the owners go ahead and they institute a 48 game season. They're like, look, that's what we're gonna play, and everybody show up, or or the ramifications are are twofold. One, which I think is kind of the lesser of the ramifications, is you don't get paid because I think that from a player standpoint, I was only getting paid a third of my contract anyway. So do I really want to go through all the, the stuff of putting myself at risk, you know, putting myself at risk, not only for injury, but coronavirus to get ramped up for a season that doesn't really matter to get a third of my salary. But the bigger cudgel the owners have to make them show up is you don't get a year of service time if you don't play. Right. And so, all of the players are going to want that year of service time, especially, you know, people who, who might be coming up on arbitration eligibility and all that kind of stuff. And so what they're going to do is they're going to come back and play. And I'm using that in, in air quotes, which none of you can obviously see they're going to play, but you know, they're going to have a, a tweaked hamstring that's going to take them out for 10 games and they're going to stub their toe and, you know, then they're going to have the, the flu and, and they're going to do everything possible to limit the exposure that they have to injury and illness. And, and that's going to be, I think, their chief priority. And that just kills baseball, right? Like if they're coming back sort of under duress just to check a box so that they get their year of service time, that's almost worse than having no baseball season at all. I mean, Everybody goes to work. Everybody, you know, has a business or works for somebody who has a business. Like if people are just going through the motions because they have to, they, they're never, it's not like they're doing good work. It's not like it's, it's entertaining. It's not like they're going to be agree, agree to be mic'd up and be like, yeah, I really care about winning this game. They're going to come back for 48 games. They're going to check the box. They're going to sit in the stands. You know, they're going to eat hot dogs and talk and be joking around amongst themselves. And it's going to be a total farce. It's not going to be baseball. So, so I think if, you know, what, what ownership is risking here by jamming this down the players' throats and saying we're going to play 48 games and show up or else is that the players can, quote, show up. That doesn't mean I have to give a shit. Yeah, it's a shame, too, because honestly, like, when you go down the list of, of sports, you know, NASCAR, you don't really hear the fans, so it's not a big deal when there's no fans. Um, the same thing with golf, right? The same thing with UFC. I think UFC is actually better without fans, to be quite honest with you. But I think baseball is right there as far as no fans don't really impact the sport. But you don't really hear the fans unless there's a home run or there's an impactful hit or there's an impactful strikeout. But you, I would say 92 or 90% of the game is just 
silence and you know you're you're basically watching the background or you're having you know to your point like a few hot dogs or whatever so it would be a shame if they don't get kick it off because honestly they're going to be putting themselves in a really bad position um for next year and even the years beyond if they don't even come to an agreement and honestly to your point 48 games is not a big deal you know and it's it's one of those things where you have to t- you have to come to the players side a little bit and i get the the owners they just want to make as much money as they can, but hey, guys, maybe for one year, let's just come to the even point where, all right, we'll play, we'll pay Mike Trout and Garrett Cole what they, you know, a prorated salary and not screw them completely, and we'll try to bring up some players that, you know, and, and this is what they could do too is bring up some minor leaguers and things like that who may have not had a chance, but you know what. They just want to play and they want to, you know, they want to play the game. So let's just bring, bring it up too. There could be a solution here, but instead it's just, it's, it's sort of a, a dick measuring match right now. It's like, who's going to blink first. And honestly, when that happens as, as more as, as further we get into the summer here, we're not going to be able to restart baseball because there's not enough indoor stadiums to go around. And if you don't start by, I would say probably mid to the end of the Ju- of June this month, you're not having a season. So if they if they and they're so far apart right now, if they can't come together, it's in serious jeopardy. Yeah, I mean, I think I think everything you say is right. I mean, the the whole thing it it makes sense on some levels. It makes absolutely no sense on other levels. I mean, part of what they're squandering here. I mean, I mean, if you did it right and you really kind of leaned into it a shortened season could be pretty fun, right? Because the knock on baseball is always been that it drags, right? The games are too long. The season is too long. So if you had a, you know, a a short game sprint and you kind of marketed it right, unlike every other season that baseball is going to play, all of the 32 teams have a, have a chance in a 48 game season, right? Like anybody can win a 48 game season. You start hard, you you start start hot and you know you you can take you can take the pennant and be in the playoffs. And so there's a real opportunity for fans who root for teams that are not the Yankees and not like the Yankees in that they don't get into the playoffs very much on, um, you know, teams like the Brewers, teams like the Marlins, whose fan base would really have something to get excited about. Because the seasons is almost like, hey, anybody has got a shot. Anybody's got a shot. And you're you're taking that and you're kind of corrupting it against against this backdrop of bullshit. And you know, even when you look back at like the last labor stoppage, that was annoying and, and it was terrible for baseball. I mean, it was terrible for baseball, but at least it didn't take place against the backdrop of a pandemic plus you know, unrest in the country with protests and, and, you know, and racial tensions and 2020 has obviously been, you know, a bad year. And so, you know, for major league baseball, the owners and the players to die on this hill of like, we need to get paid exactly what we need, or we're not going to pay you X number of dollars. When in reality, like, I think I read that the difference between a 48-game schedule and an 81-game schedule is something like $300 million one way or the other. Like, okay, that's a lot of money, but, like, one team goes for $2.5 billion. So is it really that big a deal? Like, is anybody really going to starve if $300 million is in one place instead of another? Like, can we split it? 
you know, 150 million each and all just get baseball back up. So, I mean, I, I think the, the point is we cannot say strongly enough how much everybody on all sides of this thing is just screwing the pooch. And it's interesting that, I mean, you made a great point, right? Like, so anybody can win it. So you would feel like the baseball, every baseball owner would be into something. And the other thing is, you know, right. If there's a certain amount of money to go around, are baseball owners just being too greedy at this point? Are baseball players being too greedy at this point? I mean, I don't think there's enough, there's not enough measurement about like what, what does this impact financially? Are baseball owners going to take a financial loss by going into the year? And if that, does that even matter? Can you negotiate as an, as owners baseball share, like any kind of revenue sharing where, all right, yeah, the Marlins don't have a great salary cap and they're not going to have any viewers. They probably don't have any TV rights that are worth a damn, but can the Dodgers maybe share some of their money? The Yankees share some of their money. Can we come to a, a, a median where like everybody, every team is pulling their money together. The players are pulling their money together, put it on the table and say, look, this is a rare year. This is not usually the case. The expectation is that in 2021, we'll probably have a vaccine or close to a vaccine for COVID. We'll have fans back in the stadium by the time baseball kicks off. So let's just figure out this year. You know, and I think that would be just really good to get to the table and say, this is where we're at. Yeah, the problem, just... with, the problem with that, though, is it's the same thing. Like, it sets the precedent, right? Because in order to do that, like, the Yankees and the Dodgers have to acknowledge that the Marlins and the Brewers and the Pirates don't make any fucking money. And once you've made that acknowledgement, like, then the next year, those teams are like, you know, you acknowledged last year that we don't make any money. Like, why aren't you sharing more of your money? So, like, I, I, I mean, it, it, it's all the precedent, right? You, you're exactly Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it's not, it's not the $300 million because nobody gives a shit. I mean, people give a shit. But, like, nobody really should give a shit about the $300 million because in terms of Major League Baseball, that's a fucking rounding error. But nobody wants to, in, like, a team that isn't going anywhere anyway, lose their negotiating leverage for future seasons. Um, all right, we're going to move on to – because on um, – getting a little uh, wanting to kill everybody in uh, Major League Baseball uh, right now. So we're going we're gonna to transition out of baseball and into the NBA, at least a league that's gotten to an agreement. They have ratified the agreement. NBA is coming back. There's a date and everything. Yay! We're all happy. Um, so here's what we know. The NBA will restart. It's going to be – sort of sequestered in uh, Orlando, Florida at Disney World. It's going to start on July 31. It's uh, going to be kind of a, a little bit of an odd uh, format in the sense that they're inviting something like 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 nine Eastern Conference teams or 10 Eastern Conference teams and 12 Western Conference teams. So it's not even in terms of the number of teams that are being invited. But overall, 22 – of the 30 teams are uh, invited to Orlando to start. And here's how the format's going to go. There's going to be eight regular season games left to play. After those eight regular season games, the top seven teams will, in each, con- in each conference, will make the playoffs. The eighth team in each conference will make the playoffs if and only if there are four games or more ahead of the ninth seed. If they're less than four games ahead of the ninth seed, 
Then there's going to be a play-in game or games between the eighth and the ninth seed in which in order to get in, the eighth seed would only have to win one of those games, but the ninth seed would have to win two out of two of those games. And if you found that hard to follow, uh, it's complicated as fuck, and you probably need an abacus to, to really like get through it. But at least there's a deal, and at least there's going to be basketball. So what do you think about this proposal? What do you think about the Orlando plan? What do you think about not inviting all the teams and only inviting some teams? Uh, and what do you think about the, the format? Well, I mean, the first thing, there's two things that come to my mind. Number one, this is the Zion William, Williamson Invitational. Um, it's obvious the NBA wants to get Zion into the playoffs. I mean, this was basically designed for that. You know, they want to get the Pelicans in there. And I don't blame them. I mean, Zion's probably the future here. Um, you know, Chris and I were probably, I think we were in a bar when the Knicks lost out to the, to the Pelicans for the number one overall seed last year. Um, we cried into our bourbons, but <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, it is what it is. We got, you know, who knows? We have uh, maybe a future, who knows? But so you have, I, I see that. I see that the, the NBA trying to get the Pelicans in there to maybe versus the Lakers or whoever. Um, the other thing I, I know, you know, the, the, what, I, what kills me as a Nets future holder is that Kevin Durant basically came out and said he's not playing this year, no matter what, which I'm like, seriously, dude? Like, it's past your date, but okay. Like, I guess we know what priorities you have to, for basketball. Um, it's interesting for the fact that they're wanting to finish the year. And I get it, right? You want to complete the year. You want to get your revenue. I, think, I heard some crazy numbers, but I thought I heard maybe $4 billion was on the table for this. So no, no, there's no um, doubt of why they wanted to complete this year and have it done so they get their revenue and their, their TV share. And that's fine. It will be interesting what happens next year. And, and the funny part is that you mentioned, too, about the 22 teams. I guess and the NBA just conceded that Golden State will have the best lottery option for next year. They're not changing the lottery rules. They're basically screwing the teams that should have been in the lottery, um, but have to play out the year and, and will, I guess, deem their seed based on that. But you have teams like the Golden State Warriors. You have teams like the Cleveland Cavaliers. You have teams like the New York Knicks who are just now, all right, you know what? You don't have to play anymore. You're setting your lottery picks. We'll see you next year. Um, and I'll be interested how the plays out because I'm honestly, Golden State is set up to just fucking wreck next year. <laughs> but uh, but like I, I, I like it. Obviously, the NBA is back. We need some sort of major sport to come back, whether it was baseball, whether it was basketball. I know hockey's in the mix right now to come back, but there's something had to come back. And I, I, I like basketball coming back. I like the format. I just feel like they only did this because of Zion Williamson. Otherwise, they would have. I, I think they would, would have just done the top 16 teams and just said, let's just go from there and figure it out. But uh, but it'll be interesting how, how this all plays out, honestly. Yeah, I mean, so a couple a couple of things. I mean, I, I agree that they want Zion in the in the playoffs. I think I think that's pretty clear. I I don't share your your feelings about Durant not coming back. I don't think that has anything to do with his priorities. I think it's just, you know, he did come back once. He came back for the Warriors, you know, in that in that game when there was a question on the table of should he come back, should he not come back? And he came back and because he played in that one game, he lost a year. So I think because of that, he's kind of earned the right to be super extra cautious so that's my feeling on Durant the thing about the Warriors is you're absolutely right like they've got this number one seed now it almost harkens me back to 
when David Robinson got hurt and had to sit out, you know, a year and the Spurs got Tim Duncan and, you know, then they came back and had that twin tower thing for a year where I, I think they won it all, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and so, you know, you got the stacked Warriors team that just happened to like have everybody hurt for a year and they're like, all right, we're going to take the year off. And now they get the number one seed and it's like, oh my God, like, I mean, could you, could you get any more, uh, I don't call it unfair, but like, but like, you know, it's just an embarrassment of riches that they're going to, they're going to pull the number one seed. I go back and forth on this issue of should the NBA be inviting all 30 teams? To me, there's something a little bit odd about inviting 22 teams and not 30 teams. Like, even if some teams don't mathematically have a chance to make the playoffs, like, I can't imagine it would be more logistically complicated or scheduling complicated to invite all 30 teams. And something about inviting 22 of 30 teams just seems off to me. I, I mean, what do you think about that? Does it feel off to you? Do you think they should invite everybody? Or are some kids just like, you know, it's like it's not a participation game where everybody gets a trophy. And if your record sucks, fuck off. It, no, it does. Um, it feels like that. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that the NBA was basically saying, hey, look, these, these teams don't have a shot in, in the 2019 regular season to make the playoffs. So they're just done. And yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I don't know who Golden State takes, whether it's uh, the center of Memphis, who is supposed to be like the next big deal. You know, centers are always issues, so who knows? Or the kid out of Georgia, the, the shooting guard. I know he's supposed to be the next big player. And I know, you know they've traded, obviously, uh, Russell. Um, you have Clay coming back, so who knows? But I, I like I said, I, I, I agree with you. So going back to your Durant point, I agree. Like I said, I was a Nets future holder. Um, I know he doesn't want to come back and rush his career. I get it. But it just makes me mad because it's like, I, I'm pretty sure he could probably try. And the Nets are so prime this year. With so, they have so much fucking talent that they can actually come in on the Eastern Conference and maybe and make a run for the final. I mean, anybody can make a run for the finals right now. Like, it's so wide open. Not um, the Knicks. Not, well, no. But the, <laughs> remaining, the remaining teams, um, except for, well, maybe except for the bottom of the West, like Memphis, for instance, doesn't have a shot. But. Um, but no, I, you know, like I said, I, I think this is a lot, this has a lot to do with Zion coming in at the end of the day, what you're probably, what the NBA is probably hoping for, they're probably hoping for Milwaukee Lakers, um, which it's going to happen. I mean, I, I don't see that. I don't see anything stopping that from happening. I think those are the two clear number one teams in both conferences. Um, they're obviously on a, on a collision course to first each other. I think LeBron, like I said, LeBron James came into the room and said, I want to play of the year. I think that has a, that's a big voice for every other team to say, you know what? We're going to listen to him. The same thing with the China situation. The same thing with pretty much everything. LeBron James commands a huge voice in the room. It was like, you know, Michael Jordan 20 years ago. So I think that that's what's going on right now. Um, as far as the other teams are involved or other teams are concerned, you know, from what we hear, the Knicks didn't even want to participate and which is not a surprise because Dolan's a fucking asshole. And like there's the other teams are just like, you know, we're out of it. We don't want to commit to our player, commit our players to this, whatever. I, you know, yeah. Why would you want to develop your rookies for another 12, 15 games? Why? Yeah, of course. Just let them fucking try and wilt and whatever. So it is what it is. But um, like I said, I think the, the main reason 
for this play-in situation is because you have teams on the outside that are pretty talented that and Zion's the obvious example here, right? Zion missed the majority of the year. He's coming on hot, hot as you can be. I mean, how crazy would it be? Let's just talk about this. You have the Lakers versus the Pelicans round one. I mean, how crazy would that be as a series? You'd have fucking millions tuning in for that. You have Anthony Davis who turned on his team, wore a shirt that basically said, fuck the Pelicans. For, and honestly, they, and, and now they have one of the biggest, hottest premier stars in the league on their team with basically the rest of the Lakers that they traded for Anthony Davis. Right. It would be such a – I mean, that, just to have that open up the playoffs would be That'd a be ratings great. killer. That would oh, be yeah. great. I would, I would absolutely tune into that. I mean, that would be an, an unbelievable storyline, and it would just be so much fun to watch because you know there would be like a little bit of bad blood at least, right? And – and the great thing about the NBA, I feel like, is the playoffs in the N- like in the NBA under this format feel more legitimate to me because, you know, the regular season kind of doesn't matter in the sense that the teams who have a chance to win the NBA championship were always going to make the playoffs, right? So, like, having the Lakers and, and Milwaukee – and teams like that in the playoffs, like seated that way, doesn't feel as as you know like in artificial or manufactured. Whereas in like a football season, you know, like the Browns have all the talent in the world on paper, and you get in a season and like you know they they start off slow and the coaching isn't right and things go wrong and it's like totally fucked. So having like a very short season in other sports, like we just said with baseball, anybody can win it. But I feel like if you, the basketball is the kind of sport where if you kind of pencil in the teams at the beginning of the year, who are going to be in the playoffs, there may be a surprise or two, but not at the top. And you're going to get them mostly right. So to me, what you want to see in the NBA is the playoffs. That's what you want to see anyway. And so to me, what basically we're getting is the NBA playoffs and it's, feels legitimate and it feels more real. And so for that reason, I guess I don't have a problem that not all the teams are participating because what the goal is, is just to get to the playoffs as quickly as possible. And so why bring in teams that don't have a chance in hell of making the playoffs? But, you know, I don't know. I guess as a Knicks fan, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that I'm not going to see any more Knicks basketball this year. Although honestly, they are so god awful, and I knew coming into the year that they were going to be so god awful that maybe it's it's you know just merciful and like put them out of the misery. But so let me ask you this: while we're on the subject of the Knicks, do you do you want to see the Knicks get ball in the draft? Well, really quick before that, I think you make a great point, right? Because last year load management was a, was just the idea, the new thing. The thing that the Spurs always did, the thing that worked for Kawhi Leonard, and it'll be really interesting to see how, now that all of the star players are well-rested, how that works out. Because that is their load management, right? Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, LeBron James, they're all well-rested heading into the playoffs. How does that work? Now, are the Clippers better than the Lakers? Are the Bucks better than every other team? I, I'm really interested to see how that works. That's a great point that you made earlier. Yeah, but, but so think about this, though. Are you worried that they're going to be rusty? Well, I mean, I think that's where the tuning games are for. But I, I feel like the top stars 
maybe they lose a little bit off their jump shot, but I think overall their game wouldn't change that much. You know, you talk about Kawhi Leonard, who didn't play a ton for the Raptors and came out in the playoffs as, as just like one of the better players I've ever seen in my life. You know, so like I, I feel like these guys just have that in they're just in tune. I'm sure look, a lot of these guys have access to gyms or at least home gyms where they can keep their game at least semi positive. Um, where they come into and maybe yeah, maybe you're right, maybe the one or two games. But you we a lot of these guys like LeBron, LeBron's not playing training camp games, like he's not playing preseason games. These guys will come in, I think they'll be pretty fresh. If it takes three, two, three tune up games, um, I think it's going to take a while for LeBron James to get up to 35 minutes again, but that, that's going to take probably two or three games. But your point with the Knicks, I agree. I mean, look, do I want to see R.J. Barrett for another 10, 15 games? I do. Do I want to see Frank Nicotina for another 10, 15 games? I do. I think there are teams in the bottom of the league who are getting fucked here. Are the Golden State Warriors one of them? No, of course not. But what is the NBA without teams that need to – progress and help themselves you know how long did the 76ers take to get back to what they are today it's not great but at least they're at somewhat a competitive level you know we brought we bring up about you know Embiid, the whole load management stuff again Embiid's going to be there ben simmons etc you know you want as the nba you want the knicks to be somewhat successful right you want you want some of these teams to be somewhat successful so I would have liked to see every team come back, even if you have the Knicks versus the Orlando Magic, you know, the Knicks versus some just Cleveland Cavaliers, whatever. Like, who gives a shit? You're going to have at least a a decent amount of people tune in because it's the New York Knicks. They're coming back at least 10 games, whatever. Um, I think it was a little bit of a mess up. Like I said before, I understand what the NBA is doing. NBA is basically saying, well, we want to bring back the teams who are going to at least compete for a playoff spot, right? They're in contention. Um, We want to finish out the year which is basically, you know, Morse code for we see where the Pelicans are, we want them in. I, 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 I will, that's it. Like for me, this is my opinion on this whole thing is that every decision made was that the Pelicans are an arm's length of the eighth seed. We want them in the playoffs. We want to see Zion for four more games at least. Just let it play out that way. If it's against the Lakers, amazing. If it's against the Clippers, whatever. But we want to see this happen. So I think that's why this is being played out this way. I think in a, in a realistic world, let's just say the Pelicans were the eighth seed already. You would have saw a 16 game. You would have saw the top 16 playoffs uh, that they were floating around to begin with. So I, like I said, I just think this is to get some of those top prospect teams in and, and that's it. That's what they want. All right. So we're, we're, we're going to have eight games and then we're going to have a regular quote unquote playoffs. So let me ask, let me ask this question. You know what? When the NBA plays the playoffs, usually, obviously, Home field advantage or home court advantage, I should say, is a big fucking deal, right? I mean, the crowd in basketball, the crowd in football makes a difference. Um, And so home field, home court, that's worth something. Now, here, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're home court or not. Like, like you may be the one seed and you you may get four games at home. But this year, all that means is, you know, your logo is going to be on the on the court for four games in, instead of three. You're still essentially playing in an empty gym. And I was trying to, like, think about, you know, who does that help, if anyone? And who does that hurt, if anyone? Obviously, you know, part of me thinks it helps the lower seed teams, the teams who would ordinarily 
be playing a majority of games in the other guy's gym. Part of me thinks, you know, maybe it helps the veterans a little bit um, or maybe not like, right. Because like, you know, like LeBron can do it all on any stage in the world. But if you're a rookie in the NBA playoffs for the first time, there's some of that, you know, nervous energy that, that, you know, being in a hostel or even your own gym that makes you press, you know, maybe makes you press too hard and maybe throws you off a little bit. And they, and they always kind of say, you know, rookie, you know, he's a rookie in the playoffs. Do you think that factor is kind of eliminated a little bit by the fact that it's a calmer environment in, with no, no fans in the stands? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. I mean, it's funny, too, that you mentioned that because I, I want to say it's a law or maybe it's just I don't know. But I thought if you travel to like Toronto, for instance, you had to quarantine yourself for 14 days. Like it was like that's the rule or that's the law. So if the Raptors make it like how like do they just the NBA team is just going to pass on this? But I, I, I agree with you. I think um, I think that the veterans so you, you hear different things, right? So you hear LeBron James gets really amped up by the crowds. That's what he plays up to. I don't believe that. I think he just he's just a specimen. Um, I think that probably the end of the games matter more when it comes to you know when it comes to um, how it's you know how the pressure is is on some some different some players. I think probably I you know the 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 old adage about the NBA is that the last five minutes is the only minutes that matter, right? Like that's, it's always been the case. It doesn't matter if you're up by 20, it's always the last five minutes that matter. So I think that's still a case. I think there's still pressure there. I honestly believe that this isn't college, right? College to me, if you're talking about like, if we're on a podcast right now about how will St. John's react to do coming in without fans, we have, it's a different conversation. I think with NBA players are so in tune with the game. And I feel like they're at a certain point where they tune at the fan. Like, do I feel like LeBron James is amping up his game because fans are cheering him on? There's no fucking way that's possible at this point of his career. So many years in the game, you know, I just, they, they're, I think they're just so in tune with the game that they've tuned him out already where maybe it affects them a little bit. But if there's music going on and there's other distractions, like once they start, once the tip off happens and they start getting into the game more, I don't think it's the case. I think they they get back into their game, they get back into their mode, and they play business as usual because yeah. they're all they're all professionals. I don't I don't know about that though. I mean I mean part of the reason that as a coach in the other team's gym that you call a timeout to stop momentum is because the fans are going fucking crazy and you want to put a stop to that. So you call a timeout to stop the momentum and calm everything down. I mean, there's at least a strategic play that happens in a game from a coach's perspective that's designed to kind of take the crowd out of it a little bit. And and maybe not for a guy like LeBron, but think about a guy like I mean, RJ Barrett's not making the playoffs. But think about like the rookies in their first in their first playoff series going into a hostile gym. You don't think that that experience impacts their play i agree with you maybe not for lebron but like a rookie it's it's tough to say only because is it a hostile gym if there's nobody there no you know, I, like, I, mean, I, mean, I mean don't you think that completely changes the 
the analysis, like somebody going into the Staples Center as a rookie, is you know Zion going to the Staples Center. Do you think he is any impact on him going into a crazy Staples Center if that's how it played out, as opposed to going into an empty gym? Oh well, in that case, you're right. I don't think, yeah, of course it would have a different impact. I mean, I think if a rookie came in there with a crazy crowd, yes, it would impact them. I just think that are there realistically. Look, I mean, we're and I think Chris and I are pretty transparent on this podcast. We would gamble tomorrow if we knew that you know Baby Jesus was coming out and playing for the Lakers. I mean, like <laughs> if, if we if we had an inside scoop on things, we would bet on, bet it. I would never bet the Pelicans to win the championship. I wouldn't bet a rookie to win the championship. My teams I would bet on this year were the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Bucks. And I understand that's chalk, but. Maybe the Raptors, but that's what, what that's it. That's your and that's the NBA. That's your teams. No other team is going to make a run, a legitimate run of the playoffs. So that's what, who I'm really commenting on. I understand that there may be some rookies in the mix here. You may have some like Memphis may make it in. New Orleans may make it in. You know, you may have um, the 76ers with Simmons and Embiid. It, honestly, like I said before, I, I, I can open this this NBA discussion on. I I just feel like it's going to be Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis. I think they they got pissed what happened last year with the whole Raptors situation, seventy six sixers situation, and you're going to have one of the Lakers or the Clippers. These are three of the most veteran teams that are there right now. Right, Bledsoe is a veteran. Gian, Giannis at this point is a veteran. LeBron, Kawhi. Like, you just got guys that just have been there before. I can't see zero audience impacting that. You might have maybe a six, maybe beating a three. That's on the table. Maybe even a seven beating a two, um, depending on what, what the situation is. But I think at the end of the day, the cream of the crop will rise. And I feel like it's one of those three teams that will win the championship this year. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. I think that, that unlike any other year, um, I think that – you know, rookies are at a little bit more of an advantage this year because they're not going into a hostile crowd with a hostile uh, in a hostile gym. I think that's going to help rookies. I think that um, you know, for guys like LeBron, I kind of agree with you that it's it's probably not going to matter. Although, you know, if you've played your whole you know your whole career in front of kind of like crowds that are always amped up i mean it might be a little weird um but you know we'll definitely see how how it plays out um we're gonna move on and the the rest of you know what we're gonna talk about is is kind of all against the backdrop of the unrest that's currently going on in the country if you unless you've been living under a rock um you know that that uh, George Floyd was was killed by Minneapolis police as a result of a white police officer um, essentially kneeling on his neck for over eight minutes, despite the fact that he said that he couldn't breathe. Um, he's an he's an African American male. The um, the incident and altercation was caught on videotape. And from that, there have been um, demonstrations and protests across the country. Uh, some have most, many have been peaceful. Some, there has been some violence. There have been some police cars that have been burned. There have been some, some businesses that have been looted. And, and to put it as, as 
plain as possible, um, it has impacted the sports world. Uh, just like it has impacted the rest of the world, the sports world has not been immune to this. And so, you know, we're going to have to talk about it. I mean, we, we are going to talk about it on this podcast, which at first I was a little bit reluctant to do because of, of a couple factors. Number one, um, you know, I think people listen to the podcast and, and, and watch TV and watch sports to kind of get away from these, you know, from the problems that are going on. So, you know, the last thing I want to do is sort of beat that drum, number one. Number two, I'm not typically a guy who gives a shit what athletes and coaches and, and leagues have to say about politics and culture and society. I just think that athletes are athletes and they should stick to generally what they're good at, which is throwing a ball, catching a ball, hitting a ball, whatever your, your skill is. I don't think it makes you particularly any more qualified than anybody else to um, – you know, weigh in on these things, but, but, you know, these things are going to have an impact on the sports world. And so, you know, we're going to talk about it in a way that, that I think makes sense. Um, and, a, and a couple of things, uh, you know, to th- that I want to say right at the beginning that are just absolute facts in this thing that I don't think anybody can dispute. Fact number one, what happened to George Floyd was completely fucked up and wrong and, and anybody who says differently, I think, is lying to you. Fact number two, James Dolan is a complete fuckwit. Those two things are set in stone and are never going to change. With those two things said, let's talk about, like, like where the, the real meat is in these, in these discussions. And, and since we're just on the subject of basketball, let's start with, let's start with, with James Dolan, you know, one of, my, one of my least favorite people in the entire world. So the NBA, the NFL have come out and issued statements. Roger Goodell made a statement saying, you know, the, the, the we should have listened to our players and, and, you know, we, we uh, were wrong as a league and Roger Goodell is completely full of shit and the NFL doesn't give a fuck, but at the very least they, they tried to, you know, put out a, a decently human being type statement Dolan and MSG put out a statement that basically said, you know, we, we don't think we're really qualified to talk about this. And uh, so have a nice day. I mean, it basically didn't say anything. And there was this huge backlash. And then they had to put out like a correcting statement being like, actually, we condemn it. So Dolan managed to fuck this up, which I guess is not surprising. But but let me ask you, are you surprised that of all the NBA owners and all the NBA teams that put out statements on, on the George Floyd incident, that it was Dolan and his dumb shit MSG lackeys who had to, you know, walk their statement back with a correction. No, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's two names that I, I that hit me before we even discuss this. There's two names that hit me, right? It's Charles Oakley and Patrick Ewing. I mean, Dolan has treated them like shit. And they were just the pinnacle of what the Knicks were supposed to be in the 1990, in the 1990s when, when Jordan was just dominating the sport. You have Patrick Ewing, who basically was treated like shit the entire time he was a Nick, was treated like a diva. Oh, you know, he, was, he wasn't great. Oh, he wants, you know, let's just turn him to the Supersonics. Who gives a fuck? Bring him back as an as a, as assistant coach? Nah, 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 nah. We don't want to do that. And then you have Oakley, who, oh, well, he's a drunk. He doesn't, uh, he, no, no, I'm, I'm better than him. Like I'm better than him. Like Dolan's a fucking asshole. If this was, if this didn't expose it, then I don't know what 
people are smoking when it comes to Dolan. This guy is just a train wreck of a person. He's obviously not concerned about sports anymore. He wants to get into his stupid band who everybody hates. And only people tune in because they love him because of his money. That's the only people who show up to his shows because they want to get maybe get a piece of his of his pie. Um, but that's it. Like the guy is just an entertainment guy now. He wants to just be like a band guy. He doesn't like sports. And th- for for you to come out and just not say a word when every with the NBA, by the way, NBA is one of the most predominantly um, followed sports when it comes to minorities, especially the Black Lives Matter. To say nothing is is just is just ludicrous. And, it, and especially for New York, New York is such a, you know, a melting pot of cultures that you have everybody showing up to your stadium. And I understand that there are certain situations where, yes, you may have, you know, one side or the other, right? You may have an opinion. And no, no, I, what I saw, that's not right. This is clear as fucking day. <laughs> there is no... There's no debate here. Like right. what happened was homicide for Christ's right. sake. And all you have to do is say that was homicide. <laughs> Instead of saying, oh, well, you know why I haven't seen all the facts. What the fuck? What are you crazy? <laughs> like, I, I, I don't, this guy is just a, he's a maniac. It's not, it's not, I, <laughs> yeah, it's not funny, but you got it. But you're absolutely right. Like you got to start wondering about mental illness with the guy. Like this is low hanging fruit. Like, all you have to do is like you don't have to make a broader statement about like culture at lo- at large or like society or race or any or any of the hard issues. All you have to say is what we saw on the videotape was extraordinarily horrible, and we at the Knicks stand against racism in all forms and support our players. Like, it doesn't have to be anything complicated. Like, this is the easiest statement that you could ever have to put out as an NBA team and as an NBA owner. And for them to to manage to bungle this situation, and I know that we shouldn't be surprised, right? Like, like the sexual harassment case, you know, you're like, how could you fuck that up so badly? And the guy is obviously like there's something wrong with the man. Like mentally, there's something wrong with him. And and it's not hard to see, but you're a hundred percent right. Like this is the most obvious thing in the world. If you can't get this right, like I, I don't know, I don't even know what to tell you. Like, like does the NBA step in? I mean, what 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 do, what do we do? I mean, I think it's I, I think it's interesting the tool also that, you know, he puts out an email internally. So once he denies everything, he puts an email internally saying, "Oh, I didn't really deny everything." But then, like Stephen A. Smith gets word of that email and says, "Well, why is that internal? Make it public." And now it's like, "Well, now Dolan's going to go after the leaker because obviously that's we can't be leaking internal emails." It's like, guy, like, what is happening? <laughs> like, are you like? Is, are you so fucking egotistical that you can't address a public disaster and make it where people are like defacing you internally? Like there's, there's traitors and there's traitors amongst us that I, I, I sent an email to my people and one of them reported to Mac Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith of what I said. Oh, there must be justice against us. Like he is fucking nuts. <laughs> and on, 
Like it's enough's enough. Like seriously, like if it wasn't, I don't understand how New York Knicks fans aren't like just like standing outside MSG and saying and 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 riding there and and make put your protest line on front of MSG because Dolan is a problem. He's been a problem when it comes to a lot of these racial interactions, and I'll put it bluntly as that because when it comes to his interactions with Spike Lee, his interactions with Charles Oakley. His, his interactions with Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, they've always been fucking problems. Always. He treated John Starks like shit. You know, like like Charlie Ward like garbage. Like he and like he's never had and, and Phil Jackson, oh he just made a mistake. He's fine. Like, come on, like enough's enough. And 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 and, and I'm not gonna stand here like I'm some sort of like, you know, Martin Luther King. But it, 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 honestly, it, it's got to be like it's got to be visible to people, and th- and and this is almost the straw that breaks the camel's back when it comes to a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests. When it's like you know you have so many guys coming through the system and giving their opinions, and guys who played really tough and really well for the Knicks. Man, I grew up in the nineties. I Charles Oakley boarded for the Knicks. Patrick Ewing gave him this fucking heart for the Knicks. You had guys like Larry Johnson. John Starks, guys, Charlie Ward, right? Guys who just fucking gave them all. Alan Houston, who just get treated like shit. And like, it, and, and, and I, it doesn't make any sense with this guy. And now you have, now you have like, well, I didn't mean racism. Racism is bad, but, you know, I don't want this getting out. It's like, oh my God, I'm, motherfucker, man. I, I mean, like, <laughs> yes, it's one thing. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. As bad as it is to bungle racism is bad right like as bad as it is to bungle that statement how can you possibly follow it up with an internal email about racism that you're upset got leaked to the press traitors in your miss what the fuck are you talking about traitors in your miss like if you're the owner of a professional sports team sending an internal email the subject of which is let me correct what i said about not saying strongly enough that racism is bad and then you don't want that leaked because of what you said in it like like it's almost at the point where you just you just just, i don't even know you're almost speechless like you just fucking shake your head like if i'm the owner of a professional sports putting out an email about why racism is bad like i don't give a fuck who leaks it like go ahead leak it like like i'm writing this for public consumption to my employees like, I'm writing an email to my employees about, like, what the organization's stance is on racism. And I have to be worried because of the substance of what I'm saying in that might get put into the public domain. Think about how crazy that is. And I, and I question why that – I question why Dolan was, doesn't want to put out a statement. I, I don't understand, you know, why, like, he's, he's just, like – he wants to put out a cryptic statement in the beginning where the Knicks don't really want to take a stance. Then he does one internally, but then when it gets leaked, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't want that to leak. It's like, well, what's going on here? Like, who are you trying to placate to right now? Like, I, I don't get it. Like, who do you think your fans are? Like, who do you think the NBA fans are? Like, who, who's rooting for, you know, RJ Barrett? Is it the fucking, like, the white national who's rooting for RJ Barrett? <laughs> like, who, like, who? Who exactly are you trying to placate to right now? Like right. that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, 
like I don't understand. Like he is a fucking nutcase. Right. Like, and, you, and if it, you're exactly like, right, uh, like you, like who is he trying to play? It? It's New York. It's New York City in a league. That what do you think? What do you think the play, the players? What do you think the percentage is? It's got to be what eighty percent African American. Oh, probably yeah, exactly. Yeah. So who is he playing to? I mean, it's not like he's in Kentucky where he's like, well, I don't want to alienate my fans. And it's not like, I mean, he's like, it's not like, well, I don't want to alienate my players. So, like, who exactly is his constituency in this thing that he's worried about offending? And who's the white guy in the Knicks that we're cheering for? Like, seriously, <laughs> at this point. Like, like I mean, come, and who's the white guy in history that we're fucking cheering for for the I Knicks? Know. I'm, I mean, I'm, we have to go back fucking 60 years. I'm like, starting to think <laughs> that, that Dolan is just like, 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 it's almost impossible for anyone to be this bad by accident like just randomly you would think that that people wouldn't fuck up this much like if it, like if instead of james dolan like you just had you know like a chicken in the in the owner's office like drawing circles like you would almost think the results would be better because at least the chicken wouldn't get racism is bad wrong like i, I at this point like, I, honestly, I know why it'll never happen. I know why the NBA will never step in. And, and yes, it's not quite as bad as the Donald Sterling situation. I will acknowledge that. But the guy is such a problem that, that at some point, like, somebody, and the only person who can do it is the NBA, just has to do something, I, I would think. Because otherwise, like, at some point, there are going to be riots outside MSG, and it's not going to be a good look. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been compared. I mean, depending on how you view Charles Oakley, you know, he's been compared, and he's and this is on record, that he's Charles Oakley and Draymond Green called Jim Dolan, uh, Jim Dolan a slave owner. That's how he treats people. Um, it has been, you know, it has been apparent through a couple of actions of, of what he's done, that he's treated black people lesser than white people. And he is to me, one of like the representations of the old guard in the NBA. I mean, you mentioned the former Clippers owner. I mean, the former Clippers owner was basically saying that his players, Oh, look at the teeth of my players. Let's look at the teeth. It's like, dude, I know. I mean, come on, man. Like, that's just too much. Like, like, we have to, as a society, progress past this. Like, uh, the, the, you don't, you're bringing players in because they can play basketball, not because they're specimens or because, like, their bodies are great, like, or because, like, they, their beliefs are, 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 are this way. Like, enough's got to be enough. And, and I think, yeah, to, you made an earlier point, right? The commissioner may have to step in here. Now, it's the New York Knicks. God forbid we get involved in, in James Dolan's fucking practice of the Knicks, but somebody's got to say something I know. because like, and, and the guy owns a hockey team um, where you can make as many like observations of that as you want, where he doesn't intermingle or intervene in any of the hockey decisions. And the Rangers are pretty, are pretty good year after year. I'm a Ranger fan and they're pretty good. Like they're not, they're not great. They're not bad. I mean, they're always in the mix of a playoff spot, but the Knicks have been fucking awful yeah and dolan's always involved there so you you know you try to 
you know, you put the dots in the in line here, uh, and it's not a bit, it's not a great picture for Dolan. You know, that's that's really the main point. Here. Yeah, and uh, and it's it's not going to get better. I mean, it's it's just too large a sample size of him being a fuckwit, and it's just it's just not going to get any better. And and you know, I I guess it's a meets expectations. Like he managed to fuck up. You know, racism is bad, and like I guess that's par for the course. But you know, I, I mean, you, you can never cease being surprised by the depths of his incompetency. I guess that's that's the lesson here. All right, we got to take a, a quick break, and we're gonna be right back. Uh, stay with. All right, welcome back. So we have been talking about uh, sports against the backdrop of what's going on in the country right now with the George Floyd protests. And I want to turn now to the NFL and something that continues to be an ongoing issue and discussion in the NFL, and that is the Rooney Rule. And for those of you who who don't know what the Rooney Rule is, it's essentially a NFL rule that requires that for any head coaching position, um, a team must interview a minority candidate. And if it does not comply with the rule and interview a minority candidate, uh, it can be subject to punishment in the way of of uh, fines. And, and I think only fines, because in the history of the Rooney rule, I think only one team has ever been found to be in violation of the Rooney rule and they were fined two hundred thousand dollars. So I'm honestly not sure if at this point the rule permits the the taking away of of draft choices or or not but but we can all agree that that's never been done so a few weeks ago the NFL uh, rules committee proposed some changes to the Rooney rule as as follows they and and by the way but I should say that these changes were born out of the fact that that I think we've all kind of had a general consensus both in the league and outside of the league that the Rooney rule is, is ineffective or as I would say, doesn't do shit. So the proposed changes that the NFL came up with were, were, uh, you know, a few different avenues. So first they want to expand the rule to um, include coordinator jobs. And so, uh, in addition to hedge coaching positions, um, the rule also applies to offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. And then the second proposed change was, was as follows. If a team hires a minority coach, they move up six slots in the third round of the NFL draft. If they hire a minority general manager or head of football operations, they move up 10 spots in the third round of the next NFL draft. So let me ask you, Jim, what do you think of those proposed Rooney rule changes? Do you like them? Do you not like them? Do you think they're going to be effective? Do you not think they're going to be effective? It's hard to say. Um, You know, I think there was a lot of discussion about why, you know, when you go back to like just coaches, right? So there's a lot of discussion last year about why it is Eric Bieniemy not is not a head coach this year. Um, he's obviously on two successful, two straight successful seasons for the Chiefs. 
whether or not that's Mahomes, I mean, you don't know. Like, you just don't know about the offensive coordinator. Sometimes it's they're great, like Sean McVay that one year. Sometimes they're not. But you, it, they deserve a chance. Um, so, I, you know, it's hard to say whether or not it's, it's deserved. I think Anthony Lynn had a good point today. So Anthony Lynn's a black coach for the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. He mentioned that sometimes the change is good. And, some, and it progresses it, and sometimes the change is bad, and it does not progress. And I, I just feel like you want to hire people because they're suitable for the role. Now, I think the Rooney rule was in place because it was a good, you know, the, the good old boys club. You had the same coaches circulating throughout the league. Um, when Jeff Fisher would get fired by one team, he'd get hired by another team. The same thing with the Ryans, whether it was whatever Ryan you want to pick out of a hat. They were going to just get hired by one of the, you know some some team, where other black coaches would not, and you know like a guy like Brian Flores was hired last year by the Dolphins and no other black coach was hired, and it goes back you know years of, of you can you can pick whatever year you want, maybe one or two black coaches were hired, um, like Mike Tomlin for instance. For every Mike Tomlin, there's like nine coaches who didn't get hired. So I think it's good for the fact that it gives teams incentive to, to at least look at a black coach to say, you know what, this guy has had success. And you know what, let's give him a chance in an interview. Let's give him a chance to see what he has to say. Um, instead of just, let's just do like, let's just, hi, let's just interview Romeo Cornell for our head coaching role and figure out, oh yeah, Romeo Cornell is not good enough. So let's just go with this white guy. Like, I think that gives more credence to that. I think having two people to interview for the head coaching job or a general manager job as a black candidate, I think that's good. I think giving incentive as a draft pick is good. And I think it is, hey, you know what? No, this was our choice. We decided to go with this guy because he fit the organization. But who knows? Maybe the enemy comes in and says, you know what? Look, this is what I want to do. I want to transform your offense to this. I want to bring in guys that can make your offense this and – it sells the owner, and maybe the owner had a view of, I don't know, I, I maybe I, I wanted to go with you know, Andy Reid. I don't, I give, I'm giving bad examples, but you know, Andy Reid was a good choice. I feel like I want to go with him, or uh, maybe a Harbaugh. I want to bring Harbaugh back from Michigan. Oh, well, you know what? Maybe the enemy is actually good because he transformed the Chiefs' offense to fit Patrick Mahomes, and you didn't know that. You had you had the assumption that Patrick Mahomes was that offense, but. No, it was actually the enemy who made that offense. So I think I think it is good for that. I think it gives I think it gives more voice to the minority uh, prospect. And look, I think the the better the better the minority owner slash um, coach slash prospect, um, the the better they are in this sport. The more it it it, it you know it, it, the longevity increases. And the better the the, I would say that just, you know overall the better it goes as far as like the longevity, you know, only because what I'm saying is that as we go on as the sport the sports sports in general has to take a stand. What do you want to be as a sport? Do you want to have an all inclusive league, or do you want to make it where the white or the you know majority race rules the coaching slash ownership? So I like I said I think I think football now let me let me make this counterpoint to you because I'm I'm on a tangent here. Having said that, do I think the NFL is late? Yes. Do I think they're hypocrites? Absolutely. 
I think they could have addressed this a long time ago with Colin Kaepernick. I think that, and this goes back to the concussions, by the way, where you had, well, concussions aren't a big deal. Then you had Junior say I almost murdered his fucking family. Well, maybe concussions are a big deal. So the NFL is very reactive. That's that's a problem with the NFL. Um, so I don't want to stand here like I want to. I don't want to make a statement here like I'm some sort of NFL stand. I I see the NFL's issues with being very reactive to what's going on in society. I that's because they don't give a shit. Oh, the they NFL don't. Give a they shit. make a ton of money. I I, they, I, they I, I get that. You know, but whatever they say about like player safety or race relations, like that's just a PR move. Like, oh, yeah, they don't yeah. really care, right? Like, they, there's no way. Um, you know, Vienna is a good, you know, good starting place for this discussion, I think, because because l- l- let's talk about him for a second. So, the knock on Vienna was, well, Andy Reid's an offensive genius and Pat Mahomes is a great quarterback, and that all makes perfect sense. And then we look at a guy like Joe Judge, right? And I like Joe Judge. I think Joe Judge is a good hire, personally. But he was under Belichick. And that team had Tom Brady. And and so, you know, like, you don't think that Belichick had input into New England's special teams performance? Like, if you honestly don't think that Belichick had the influence on, on New England's special teams performance – that Andy Reid, you know, had on the Kansas City offensive performance, then I don't know what to tell you. I just don't think you're looking at the situation right. So, so I mean, you, you look at that guy and you're like, well, why didn't that guy get hired? But so, so I think that if you're going to have the Rooney rule and, and you're, you're going to do something to, to try and promote the hiring of minority candidates in this position, then it needs to be tweaked. My main problem with this is, is I almost don't feel like it went far enough, right? Like, does any NFL franchise change or alter its coaching decisions based on moving up six spots in the third round of the NFL draft? Like, I almost feel like the NFL, like, unintentionally – but explicitly said, we don't give a shit about this. Because, like, who was the guy who was like, you know what? Moving up, hiring a minority head coach isn't worth them moving up seven picks in the third round. It was only worth them moving up six picks in the third round. That's how much we care about it. Like, that's nothing. Like, moving up six picks in the third round. Like, like. I don't know. I feel like by by placing that level of compensation on it, you've almost announced that it's not that important to you. Do you agree with that? You know, it's tough to say. I I, I think that you know we've seen worse infractions or worse infractions for um, the Patriots. We've seen worse infractions for the Saints. Teams that have blatantly cheated um, and have survived, uh, to be quite frank. So do I think that maybe moving up maybe three first-round picks would be better? Yes, I think so. I think this is very mild. Now, is there going to be a perfect minority candidate versus the, the um, you know, I, I guess the white candidate or whoever you decide is the better solution? It, it's tough to say. 
you know, and, and, and again, we talked about, so we started this podcast off about setting presidents, right? I think this, you have to end the podcast on a setting presidents. Does this set the, and, and that's what people will be concerned about. If you make it too high, let's just say like, I'll gain five first round picks for hiring Eric Bieniemy over John Harbaugh. Does that make a ton of sense? No. Make, you know, and, and, and that's going to be the argument, right? So like, so that would be too much. All right. Does it make sense to hire Eric Bieniemy over John Harbaugh for five second round picks? You know, so like, where is the threshold? What is the proper response? What is their proper response for your team? Um, and then what does the owner do? Because again, there are successful teams who have had black coaches. Mike Tomlin has been in the Super Bowl a couple of times now. You know, like there, there, there is success. There's a success metric. Herm Edwards, by all accounts, was a success, a successful coach. Um, so there's been a you know a couple of measures that have made it possible for these people to success to succeed in this sport. Do I think that you know? Do you have to put a carrot in front of the stick? That is going to be up for debate. And what what is the most appropriate way to do that? Yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, it's a hard question because you know you're you're trying to peg a piece of compensation to you know like to like almost make it an affirmative action situation, and and so I get that. But but to me, if you're going to change the Rooney Rule. The reason that you're going to change it is because it hasn't been effective to your mind. Okay, that's fine. So, so now we're at a point where we're instituting a change and deciding what should that change be. Well, make the change something that at least has a chance to be effective. And to me, because that's the whole reason you're making a change. So to me, saying, well, the old Rooney rule didn't work, and so now we have a new improved Rooney rule, that if you hire a minority head coach, you're going to move up six slots in the third round. and you're, Or if you hire a minority general manager, you're going to move up ten spots in the third round. I don't think that's going to do shit either. So it's like, so why change it at that point? Like, like neither one of those is going to be effective. Neither one of those is enough, comp- you know, quote-unquote, you know, compensation or incentive or whatever you want to call it to, to get teams to alter their behavior so if you're not going to put behind the new and improved Rooney rule an incentive or a disincentive to actually change behavior, then I would say just leave it the fuck alone because, you know, otherwise there's no, you know, there's no point in changing it and, and it hasn't worked. And look, I mean, we can, we can all sit here and debate like, like where on the scale, you know, an incentive we need to fall. I mean, it's a shame that there has to be an incentive to like, interview a minority candidate since of the 52 man roster, you probably, you know, 60% of it is, is, you know, African-American like, but, but that's where we are. So that's what we need to do. But I just think, and maybe this is a reason it died on the vine because from what I understand, this ain't happening, but um, you know, I think if you're going to, if you're going to add an incentive, if that's the route you decide to go, then you should at least add an incentive that has some chance in hell of, making an impact in the way you want to make an impact. Otherwise leave it the hell alone and just admit that you suck at this. And there's maybe there's nothing you can do. Like maybe there is nothing you can do. Like if I'm an owner of, a, of an NFL franchise, like I'm going to hire whatever coach I think is going to get me the most wins and has the best chance to get me to the Super Bowl. Like I don't give a shit what the incentive or disincentive is like, I'll, you know, I'm, that's the coach I'm going to hire is the guy who I think is going to win me the Super Bowl. So 
you know, on one hand, maybe there is no level of incentive or disincentive that's going to work, but I just feel like, like saying, oh, you're going to move up six round, six, six places in the third round was such a tepid response that like, it's almost acknowledging that it's not going to do anything. Um, while we're on the subject of the NFL, so two guys I want to talk about collectively, Drew Brees and, and Jake Fromm, uh, one guy at the end of his career, one guy at the beginning of his career. Well, let's, talk about, let's talk about Brees. I think he's the easier case. So in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement and, and everything going on with George Floyd, Brees said, and I'm, I'm not quoting exactly, but it was, it was basically this. I don't see how I could ever support anyone who disrespected the flag of the United States. And it was clear from the implication of that statement that he meant kneeling during the national anthem. Um, the, the world freaked out. The sports world freaked out. His teammates freaked out. And Drew Brees has now twice tried to walk back that statement. So, so let, me, let me ask this. The initial statement. Do you have a problem with what he said? And and how do you feel about the reaction to it and his apology? You know, I'm willing to debate all day about um, what, you know, what this whole movement means, what this means for America, you know, why this is happening. If you drew Brees, what are you doing? Like, you're in New Orleans. You're in Louisiana. You saw what happened with Hurricane Katrina. You saw the amount of people who were displaced. And because of a, of a national tragedy, when it came to the, a hurricane, you know, the fact that they had to move the state or had to leave, they had to leave all the possessions behind. Like, you were there. You were the representative from that. Like, for you to come out and say, well, you can't just disrespect the flag. It's like, come on, the, the flag, the flag... I get it, right? Today is D-Day. Um, the anniversary of D-Day is today. It's June 6th. I, I understand the importance of today. But am I going to like hold something above everybody's head that women use for underwear and people use for tablecloth? Like, And I'm going to say, like, oh, the, for a guy to kneel during the – oh, my God. Like, you can't disrespect that. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's That's – That'd be too fucking hypocritical of me. So I don't agree with anything Drew Brees said. I think that as a representative of, of the South of Louisiana, you should be way more tolerant and understand the people that that go into your stadium and not only, you know, and pay your base. And I hate to say it, but pay your salary. That's what they do. They, they, they save their money and pay your salary because that's all they got. Maybe they could see one or two games. That's all they get. You know, so I thought it was really disingenuous of Drew Brees to say, well, at the end of the day, you know, you can you can protest all you want, but you're really disrespecting America. It's like, get the fuck out of here with that. What, like, what does that mean? Like, like you like he didn't even clarify what he meant by that. But besides, like, well, Colin Kaepernick kneeled during the national anthem. Who gives a fuck? Who cares? Like, do I really are we had like who the national anthem? It's like you have to be like everybody have silence. We must hear the national, like nobody cares. Nobody cared in school when you were like, you know, you wanted to fuck the fuck, you know, the, the girl that you had a crush on and the <laughs> national anthem happened in the morning. You're like, you know what? 
Dude, like I didn't give, I didn't fucking hear what was going on. I wanted to fuck the girl. Like exactly, nobody stopped thinking. Nobody cares. Like now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh well, God forbid. Like no, no, no. So yeah, he was in. What for? What he said made no sense. Like for what? You know, let let me let me play devil's advocate here for a second. Like, like I think like everybody's a little too wrapped up in. Oh my God, this is a big disrespecting of the flag thing. But but. Was what he said, you know, I don't like it. I, I think, let's say what he said was, I don't, I think people kneeling during the national anthem is disrespecting the flag and what it stands for. Let's say that was the quote. Do you think he should have had to apologize for that? Do you think it's, it's such a bad statement that like Drew Brees shouldn't be able to say that if that's how he really feels? I mean, three months ago, no. Now, yes. It's too much of a, of a, a hand grenade. I mean, you, you know, it, and I know we have a lot of New York listeners. I know there's probably a lot of discerning opinions about this. Um, I'm not, look, I, I think you've probably heard my stance on this. I am, I am against police brutality, obvious pr- police brutality. As you saw in the Minneapolis video, that to me is disgusting. And it can happen to anybody. I mean, you could be from tomorrow and just get pulled over and cop could drag you out and choke you to death. I mean, that's got to be, people have to be against that. You know, I think, so now that is so, it's so drummed up that you cannot make a statement that, well, the flag is above all. Like that, you just can't. I'm sorry. I don't care what your opinion is right now. Keep it to yourself. The, 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 right, the opinion right now is about whether or not there is an equal society and there's obviously not. I mean, there's, and I get, you could provide statistics. I understand that, but for Drew Brees of all people to, and again, this is probably a different conversation if it's uh, Philip Rivers, right. Or if it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's hard to say, but if somebody in like in a a Northern state who could say, look, I, I, you know, I get it, but I still respect the flag. I, but for somebody to be in the middle of Louisiana, who's dealt with a lot of racial inequality and who's dealt with what he's like, basically he was the, he was the, the um, epicenter of the improvement from hurricane Katrina. When it comes, if it wasn't for him, Tom Benson would have moved the goddamn team from New Orleans. I mean, like like that, like it's that, right. That's what you have to focus on. I guess, I guess that makes sense. Like, like, (laughs) I, I guess the point here is not so much, like Drew Brees' statement of, you know, I support the flag and I don't want people kneeling in it, like kneel, kneeling during the national anthem. Like, I, I guess it's it's more the context. When you make a statement like that within the context of everything that's currently going on, it's, it's a different statement than if you make it at any other time and whether or not like simply saying, I think people should stand for the national anthem. And I think it's disrespectful to kneel, you know, during the national anthem and disrespectful to the flag, whether or not those statements like in a static, you know, like, like box of just words on a paper are inflammatory or not inflammatory. When you put them against the backdrop of, where he is and what's going on in the country and the context of what's happening and what's in the news right now, it, 
seems like you're making that statement contrary to or or against what what um you know the prevailing narrative is right now and i think that that it was the context of it more than the actual static words on a piece of paper that that people had a problem with but but look this is a this is a slippery slope right like i have for all of my life been a believer and maybe just because this is i'm an irreverent fuck but i'm always like people should be able to say whatever the fuck they want right like i mean you you should i mean there are obvious exceptions aside like but but if you feel like people shouldn't be kneeling or people should be kneeling or the national anthem should be played by a guy wearing a uh you know, a furry costume. Like if that's what you want to say, like go fucking say it. And maybe partially of it, part part of it is I just don't give a shit about what anybody thinks. And so, you know, like what Drew Brees thinks, doesn't think about kneeling and the flag, like has no impact on me and my life at all. Like I would net, like it doesn't even register. I couldn't imagine getting upset about it. Cause I couldn't imagine giving a fuck about what Drew Brees opinion is one way or another. So maybe that, maybe that, you know, makes me different or whatever, but I I just feel like, you know, we have to be careful as much of what, what Drew Brees said, you know, was not necessarily right within this context. I feel like we have to be careful about like jumping down people's throats and pouncing on like, you know, statements that people make about how they feel or what they believe because this is still a free and open society where you get to believe anything you want you get to say anything you want even if it's unpopular and even if it's controversial like that's the society we live in and and you know censorship is you know this bullshit and like the only you know the way to combat bad ideas is with better ideas so i don't necessarily know that i approve of the level of of attacks that Drew Brees has got. Yeah, but I, I think we have to go both ways, right? So you look, you, you could say that, but then people are going to point to Colin Kaepernick. I mean, that's, and I get you could you could point to Colin Kaepernick and say, well, he didn't have a great starting career. He deserves a backup job, though. I mean, when you look at, I mean, right now teams would probably line up to get Tim Tebow, right? I mean, if you're going to get wanted to get Tim Tebow, you're going to want to get Colin Kaepernick. And I, I... Yeah, but I, see, this is the thing. This, I, I think this whole Colin Kaepernick thing is a little fucking – I don't know what the right word is. But, but the problem with Kaepernick, and this is what people always conflate, it's not that he kneeled for the national anthem. That's not the reason why he doesn't have a job in the NFL as a backup. The reason why he doesn't have a job in the NFL as a backup is because if you make him a backup, every – fucking question from the media all day long all the time about your team is do you support colin do you not support colin how do you feel about the flag how do you feel about racism and it's a fucking distraction you know like like the nfl like like, if you have talent i mean colin wasn't that good but like ray lewis was allegedly, allegedly killed some guy and they like gave him a job like nobody gave a fuck but but if it's the kind of situation where every question, your whole season is going to be a referendum on race relations, it's not that he kneeled. It's the distraction of the press coverage, I think. But do you think that's fair is my point? Because like that's, that's what you're trying to say is now, will Drew Brees get the same line of questions now throughout the year? 
like it's just because Colin Kaepernick kneeled throughout the year. Will like Drew Brees now get faced the same questions about no. do you really actually care about black relations or do you just want to like just have face just have like you're just saying that you actually care but you don't give a fuck. No, because Drew, because Drew Brees didn't make this statement sixteen games in a row on national television. Well, he said it for the past few years. He's had he's had the same statement the past few years about he, how he he thinks that you shouldn't disrespect the flag no matter what. And now he's backing. See, that's, I think that's the problem people have with Drew Brees is that he's had this statement for a while now, and people now are quite, are saying, "Hey, what the fuck are you doing now? It's, this is a problem." And he's now backtracking and saying, "Well, I apologize. I didn't mean to come out that way because he has said it directly for oh, the past few years." Completely full of shit. He's as full of shit as Roger Goodell. It's honestly how he feels, and the whole apology thing is just. I don't want to be caught up in a PR stance. This is honestly my opinion, but I don't feel strongly enough about it to have all this bullshit going on in my life. Like he's like the lie is the apology. How he really feels is what he said. But like, I don't think like, like because he just apologized and was like, I'm sorry. And I shouldn't have said it. And we should all move on. Like, I think they will be moved. Um, like, I think people will move on. Whereas, whereas, you know, if, if Kaepernick had kneeled one game during the national anthem and then, you know, two weeks later he was like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I feel bad. Like, I think the story would have stopped and he'd have a backup job. But if you hire Colin Kaepernick right now, your whole locker room, your whole, the whole conversation, everybody who writes about your team, everybody who covers your team, this is the story. And, and if you're, if you're a top 10, a top 15 player in this league, then teams are like, fuck it. He's a difference maker. Like we'll do that. But Colin Kaepernick is the best of backup quarterback. Look at his stats. I mean, I know people are like, Oh, I took a team to the super bowl, like one year. And it was kind of gimmicky. Let's all be honest. Look at his last couple of years. Look at his lifetime completion percentage. It's under 60%. Like he's not a starting quarterback in this league. And, and if you're going to be a backup and cause that much fucking controversy, people aren't going to watch you. Like it's just the way it is. Like, is it fair? I don't know, but that's the way the world works. I you know I, I look I agree with you. I just think that when you look at other backups, I mean people have an argument, right? Like you look at like a Drew Stanton or you know shit. Like can you name the like the uh, Dolphins backup quarterback? Can you name the Jets backup quarterback? I mean no, that's year, exactly the like, point. And, You're not supposed to be able to name those guys. But that's the whole thing. It's that it should go by talent and not by you know like. Because I think that's what people think, right? Like, so Tim Tebow, and people always bring up Tim Tebow. And Tim Tebow came to had a backup career for his entire life in the NFL. And it was because he was a white, predominantly Catholic, religious person. And his the question sort of came about, you know, what's it would have been most mostly religious. I mean, that's he, he had he had a fucking commercial to the Super Bowl that was a religious commercial. Like he didn't have he never feared about that. Like he never had any questions. Nobody really cared. You have Ben Roethlisberger, right? Ben Roethlisberger got away with literal rape. I mean, you know, that's what his nickname is. So he got away with it. And <laughs> he's, still, funny, he's still in the league at 39 years old, even though yeah, he hasn't thrown a fucking ball in two years. Like, there's but, but, there's a lot of question marks around white players, but black players get blackballed very easily out of this league. Yeah, but look at Roethlisberger as an example. If Roethlisberger plays this year, do you think every question that every – teammate of his is going to get for 16 games is going to be like, what do you think about the rape allegations against Ben Roethlisberger? No, nobody's going to fucking bring that up. 
but that's that's the point. I think people are making that point about why is it different for him. So you're going to tell me right now, right? Like if if Colin, like Colin Kaepernick is a bad example. Let's just say uh, Russell Wilson. Uh, maybe that's a bad example too. But a black quarterback raped a, raped somebody or some woman, like Ray Rice, for instance, right? Ray Rice or whoever you want to say raped a girl. Is that not going to that's going to be brought up fucking five years in a row? Like uh, that. That's what they're trying to say is that there's 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 double standards here where the white quarterback, like Eli Manning, for instance, right? Like I know like Giants fans, Eli Manning potentially had some fraud allegations against him for some signatures, you know, was a whisper in the wind. You heard about it for maybe fucking five days and that went away. But if that was like, you know, another player, maybe a black player, like maybe Michael Vick or somebody like that, like, that would have been blown up in the media. That's that. I think that's the point that people are trying to make. Yeah, and I and I get that point, but that's a and and I don't necessarily disagree with that point. But that's a more like a, a society media point from the standpoint of if I own an NFL team, I don't give a shit necessarily why one is brought up or why one is not brought up. I own an NFL team or I'm an NFL GM and I'm trying to win the Super Bowl. That's my goal. All I know is if I hire Colin Kaepernick as my backup, there's going to be a fucking story about this different thing, you know, this thing every day for the, for the entire year. And it's going to be a huge distraction. If I have Ben Roethlisberger for all his faults as my backup quarterback, nobody's ever going to mention it. I'm going to go with Ben Roethlisberger, like talent being equal. I'm going to go with Ben Roethlisberger. So I agree with you that, that, what you're describing might be bullshit, but I don't think it's like ownership bullshit. And I don't think it's league bullshit. I think the general managers and the ownership may be making a rational choice. I think this is more just a comment on, you know, the media and our society and our perceptions and how like the world and our country deals with things and views things that it is like, you know, teams. I, Cause I think the narrative have been like, Teams are blackballing Colin Kaepernick by not hiring him. And and maybe that's true, but I think from the team's perspective, he's going to be a huge distraction while other people aren't. And maybe it's not justified, but like if I'm trying to win a Super Bowl this year, I don't care about what's justified. I care about who's going to be the distraction. No, I get that 100%. I mean, I mean, that's been the argument forever. Yeah, uh, whether it was Marshawn Lynch, Marshawn Lynch is a big proponent of this, and I know people were like, "Why is he sitting during the national anthem?" I uh, see. Here, here's my deal: as as somebody who wants to watch football, I don't give a fuck about the national anthem. I don't care. Like, yeah, I get it. I like, I understand it's no, about the country, care. but I'm but not a, a lot big of people nation- do. Oh, they do, and I'm. I, I just, I'm just not a big nationalistic person. I guess where I'm just like, I want to watch football. See, here, here's the deal. Here's here's what you can't do. As somebody who wants to watch football, you can't say to ESPN, keep politics out of sports, but then say at the same breath, well, but you got to fucking appreciate the national anthem. It's like, no, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> you can't have it both ways. Yeah. Like, I, look, I, I will agree with the people who keep politics out of sports. I agree with that. To me, I want to watch a, a UFC event like tonight without any kind of politics involved. I want to watch a football event. I want to watch, some, you know, a baseball game, whatever, without hearing about Republicans versus Democrats or hearing about the national election. I, I would love that, but I'm not going to sit there and be a hypocrite and say, 
while this motherfucker is kneeling for what, what, what kind of bullshit is it? Like, I'm not going to do that. Cause it's no, just, I can't. It's too, you can't I do can't, it. Like, no, you know, I can't get worked up about that shit. I mean, I just can't either. I, I think it's ridiculous. Although one thing I will get worked up with, and we're going to, we're going to end on this note. So, so Jake Fromm, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get too worked up, but, but you know, he's a young kid. He's just been drafted. He's in his twenties. You know, I never want to be judged by the worst thing I did in my twenties. I, if I were judged by the worst thing I did in my twenties, I'd, I'd probably be in jail for different offenses, and we're just going to leave that there. But so uh, he was with a girl. He I don't know if she was a, a girlfriend or what the hell she was, but Jake from texted her and she texted back, and apparently they were having a conversation about guns for some reason, and he texted her that suppressors which I've come to learn are, are things that you can screw onto your gun that make it not make such a loud noise when you pull the trigger and are therefore useful, I suppose, when committing crimes or doing whatever that you don't want the cops to hear. Suppressors um, should be made so expensive that they could only be bought by, quote, elite white people. Now, unlike Drew Brees' quote, which is, you know, on its face, racially neutral, I think people should not disrespect the flag. That at least on its face is racially neutral, although we've talked about the context. Jake Fromm saying, I think something, a suppressor, should be made so expensive that it can only be bought by elite white people is on its face racist. And unlike Drew Brees, who is in his last year probably in the league before he rides off into the sunset. Jake Fromm is at the beginning of his career and has his whole career potentially ahead of him. He was not a first round draft pick. He can be moved on from fairly quickly. I don't imagine he's going to be very popular in the locker room. Um, what's your take on this? Yeah. I mean, he should have been a couple of the bills three days ago. This is, I mean, what are you doing? Like this is, that's a bad take. And I love the people who are saying, too, like, come on, guys. He was just a kid. It was a fucking year ago. Like, it wasn't something he tested when he was 12. Like, yeah, I mean, come on. Like, this is a bad take. And you can't, you just, you can't survive that now. And, like, the Bills, I get they have a white quarterback. Like, that's probably their future. But there's a lot of black players there, too. And yeah, you can. You just can't get away with something like that. Like, you, like it is such. I when I heard that, I'm like, I don't know how they don't cut this guy right now. Have him just plug, you know, go to go to whatever Canadian Football League something. Just have him maybe succeed there and bring him back in a couple of years when things kind of roll over. But you cannot have him on the Buffalo Bills next year. It is such a bad look. And and I don't want to hear too. Like this is the pro- here, here's the problem. I think with this whole conversation and, and um, I don't want to make it seem like I'm some sort of like, I see it one way or the other. I am very open-minded when it comes to race relations, when it comes to society, when it comes to like American values and how cops treat ra- random people, whether it's, and I look, I saw a white person get shot in the head with a rubber bullet. I got to saw a black person get choked to death. I saw it both ways, right? You see it in, all ways. That's the important part. You have to see it open-minded. This is racial. 
Yeah. And this is an obvious racist remark. Yeah. It cannot be tolerated in the league that it's predominantly black. It just cannot. It can't be tolerated and, in a league that's predominantly white. It can't be tolerated anywhere. I mean, it cannot be tolerated anywhere. That's exactly my uh, point. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like in America that's trying to improve, when you say, and I don't again, I, I hate it. I fucking hate it. And I want to be clear to our listeners. I fucking hate when people say he was a young kid, he'll grow out of it. He was 19. He's fucking 20 now. What are you talking? Like, what does that mean? See, to like, me, that seems like to me that seems like a kid. Maybe because I'm only I'm so old. Like to me, 19 or 20. I mean, that is a kid. He's a teenager. When I was, but Chris, seriously, when I was 20, I wasn't saying like kill all like n words. Like I was, we weren't like come on, we were we were old enough to know how bad that was back then. Like that's to me saying that guns should be owned by elite whites is a bad fucking remark at 20. It's different a, when you're 14. And you're fucking, you know. Oh, I'm 14. I want to be a troll. Hey, 20 is a little adultish for that, you know. You no, know, I mean, I mean, here's the thing. You know, 19 or 19, 20, 21. I think, I think those are kids. I, I agree with everything you say, but here's the thing. He stopped being a kid when he got drafted, and he's being, he's now being paid millions of dollars to be a professional in a workplace environment. And I don't think he can do it. I don't think he can live up to the terms of what the bills thought they were getting and, and are paying him to get. And so while I have sympathy for a little bit, a tiny bit for he's 19 or 20, I also think if you're old enough and mature enough, to sign a contract that's going to pay you millions of millions of dollars, which I have never done. I've never signed a contract that's paid me millions of millions of dollars. Then you're old enough to deal around. Then you're old enough to lose that contract because of the things that come out of your mouth. And, and this is one of those things where, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think he's a terrible person and that his whole life is fucked. And it's not like I think he's irredeemable. Like, I, I'm sure he can learn potentially from this, but I don't think he gets to play professional football next year for the Buffalo Bills. If, if I was the owner, he wouldn't get to play professional football next year for the Buffalo Bills because I would say, I would just say, look, you know, we, this is above all else, this is a job interview and this is a job and this is my team, but it's also your prospective employer. And I can't employ you because of, of what you said. And I understand you're sorry and I understand you want to do better. And I'm glad that you're sorry. And I hope that you do better, but you cannot be a part of our organization. And, and that's the stance. And that's the stance I, I would take on it because I don't see how you, I don't see how you come back, you know, from this. I don't see how the locker room, you know, deals with this. I mean, talk about a distraction. I mean, I just got off my, you know, my dialogue about Colin Kaepernick, you know, being a distraction because of the kneeling and all the questions like this is an internal distraction in the locker room. Like, I don't know how he high fives black players. Like it's just, it, it's going to seem fake. It's going to be fake. Like it just doesn't work. So, you know, to me, it shouldn't be a hard question if the guy was a number over number one overall pick, but you got so much money invested in that, that I think it would be a harder question. But to me, this is kind of like, 
falls into that, you know, look, you just, I, I understand he made a mistake, but like, this is the world we live in. You got to do what you got to do and you got to let this kid go. So we'll see what happens with it. Um, all right. So that's, that's it for, for today. And thank you again for listening. Make sure you, you click the subscribe button. We definitely want to, want to keep you guys uh, around and listening and, and have you get notice of when we drop new episodes. And thanks so much for, uh, for tuning in and for downloading. And we will absolutely see